Ever wonder what your therapist is really thinking? Well, that's confidential. But in this podcast, a few of my therapist friends and me show you what it's really like inside of a mental health professional's brain. Hi, welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified counselor. We discuss books, movies, TV shows, motherhood, current events, clinical issues, mental illness, trauma, and our own personal lives. So if you want to know what we're thinking, come on in, take a listen. Come see what the world is like through the eyes of a therapist, the podcast that destigmatizes mental illness, humanizes therapists, and demystifies therapy. Today, we're going to be talking about horror movies, folklore, and how they relate to therapy trauma work, and mental illness. I'm going to be talking with Marilyn F. Corbin Burdick. She graduated from the University of Texas at El Paso with a bachelor's in philosophy and a master's of education in guidance and counseling. Academically, professionally, and personally, they have been active in a variety of social initiatives and organizations. They've held volunteer and leadership roles as an undergraduate and graduate student in social reform organizations and in the Campus Counseling Honor Society. Marilyn has research publications on topics focusing on correctional counseling and supervision. They have presented both locally and nationally on issues regarding higher education, leadership, mental health, as well as therapeutic theory and practice. Marilyn currently works as a licensed professional counselor in El Paso, independently contracting for Sawyer Behavioral Health. They work using humanistic and somatic theories and frameworks, and they hope to expand their knowledge and training in somatic therapies, as well as learning more how to utilize internal family systems therapy. All right, so here we are on the podcast relaunch, and my next guest is Marilyn Burdick. She is a licensed professional counselor in Texas, and today we're going to be talking about horror films. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, was that kind of stupid? Anyways, so, Marilyn, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, how are you? Yeah, hi, I'm doing good. And my name is actually Marilyn Corbin Burdick. I have one oh, of those. Oh, Corbin Burdick, sorry. One of those fun hyphenated last names. Okay. But it's all good. Sorry about that. My name is Marilyn Corbin Burdick. I am a licensed professional counselor here in El Paso, Texas. Um, I do independent contracting for an agency here in town. I, let's see, I have a lot of, a bit of training in a lot of expressive therapies, and I tend to work with a lot of anxiety, trauma, bipolar disorder, and uh, mostly adults at this point. I have a few adolescents that I work with, but I tend to focus my work with adults at this stage. And so, yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Um, I graduated from UTEP with both my degrees from El Paso. I love it here. Yeah. Thank you for introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about yourself. And for today's topic, I am excited, but also scared, a little avoidant, right? Just because horror films are not quite my thing. I have to admit, I'm a little bit more of like a comedy gal, more like Mm -hmm. Will Ferrell, Adam Sandler kind of person. (laughs) <laughs> and works. yeah so I'm gonna really just pick your brain about this one but I think it's a really important topic because we're gonna touch on like inner psyche stuff it also sounds very Jungian 
Is that how you say his name? Yeah, I believe Jung. Yeah, that's how I say Carl it. Carl Jung. Yeah. So horror films. I know that you say you're not the expert, but I'm going to treat you as such today, just because <laughs> you're the one who is the enthusiast. How about the enthusiast? You're the horror film enthusiast. Yeah, you but love today horror I'll films. be the enthusiast because you're right. I, I do really like horror films, and if you don't like horror films, then this might be good for you because then you're probably going to get a few spoilers with a lot of <laughs> horror films that we can discuss and horror stories that we discuss. Which might be nice because then you're not going to be like surprised and scared if you ever do decide to watch. You can watch the movies with a different lens instead of like that suspense and fear aspect of things. Right. That's actually a pretty good reframe. So I will want to pay attention so <laughs> that I can see the punch coming is what you're saying. Yeah. And I guess... Just getting a little bit into why I like horror so much. Again, I by no means am an expert, but I really like a good horror story. I really like a good story in general. Um, although I know people will fight me on this. I'm not a really big fan of like gore horror. That's not really, I don't know. I, I'm not really excited about those kind of films. But I really appreciate a good story and how I, I like the analogies about how we can become haunted by things from our past and how we face them and how we move forward and kind of just the process of being able to acknowledge these things that haunt us and being able to just face them and be able to move forward. So that's a bit of what I'll be talking about today. Can you tell us a little bit about what gore horror is, just to clarify? Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. For me, the most obvious gore horror that I think of, and, and I'm sure there can be a really good societal commentary on it, like human centipede, like stuff like that, that I'm not really about. <laughs> I think of like a lot of the Saw movies, stuff that's just kind of like a lot of um, shock and awe kind of things, like that shock factor. There's a word, but I can't think of it. But where it's just getting that like shock value for things just to be kind of grotesque for grotesque sake. Yeah, that makes sense. Gory, bloody. Yeah. Right? Like body parts flying, mm -hmm. blood and guts and barf kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of the movies that I'll be and stories that I'll be talking about today don't necessarily fall in that category. So that's why in case anyone's curious. Okay, yeah. So tell me a little bit about folklore, I guess. So you tell me that you like a really good story. Yeah. And so um, and so, what I really love about folklore, and it's just like the storytelling tradition, and this is why I like horror a lot too, is that it's a really important part of culture to embrace, um, not just for entertainment purposes, but for just personal and cultural healing purposes and learning these little bits of wisdom through story. And how to kind of pass that on to the next generation. But I also think it, it makes sometimes these very difficult things to face. It makes it easier to face because you're looking at it from a symbolic perspective. You're this outside perspective. You're not actually actively facing it, facing a lot of those things. And so, yeah, allegory and metaphors, I think, just help us engage with difficult subject matter that just allows us to be both outside and within experiencing it. Because as we tell stories and as we listen to them, I think we're often reminded of the ways we've felt those ways and the things that we have experienced that have been similar. And of course, I do want to say like folklore and storytelling, like it's not limited to the genre of horror. Um, I just really like horror. <laughs> so that's kind of what the focus is on. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it reminds me of, you know, kind of like the narratives in trauma work, right? 
we can do that with a client through storytelling. More commonly, probably with children, it's through either play or creating a comic book or a story or something that creates that little bit more of an emotional distance between the person and the content. Yeah, being able to approach it in a way that is not in the stepping into the overwhelm of things. Right. Yes, exactly. You mentioned storytelling. You also mentioned a little bit of, I guess, being able to face certain things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to face through storytelling. And I know that in your practice, is internal family system something that you use? And so I would like to receive more training on internal family systems therapy, and I'm not um, IFS certified, but it is something that I've done a lot of my own reading on and that I incorporate a lot in my practice, and definitely the language is very much used. And so internal family systems, are you familiar with internal family systems? Um, I'm actually not. And so I'm not very familiar with it. My understanding of it at this point is that it's, the idea behind it is that we all have parts. Um, and parts are very normal. Like the movie Inside Out, that's kind of like a very IFS take on things for kids, right? Like you have anger, sadness, all those things. And they all work together and they get activated at times. <laughs> and so IFS is kind of like that. We all have different parts that step in and sometimes fulfill a role that we need at times. But what happens with trauma is sometimes parts can get, how do I try to figure out how to say it? My understanding is that when it comes to trauma, parts sometimes can become like our sense of identity. And so in order to survive and cope with trauma, maybe we had a part of us that got real small and that kind of becomes like our sense of self. And so working with IFS is you kind of learn how to approach that part. Okay, why are we getting small? What is it that we're trying to protect here? Or why is it that we get big and yell at everyone all the time? What's the function of that? So with parts, how do you think that parts relate to either folklore or something about horror? And so I think of like what you said earlier, that it does follow that very archetype framework where in horror, one could argue that a lot of the different things that are experienced are really just like parts trying to be known. And so like internal family systems, you kind of approach a lot of symptoms like parts. So you're experiencing anxiety what is that part of you that experienced anxiety trying to say? Um, if you experience depression, okay, what is this depressed part? What is it getting at? Or where is it coming from? And with IFS, you really try to approach those parts with compassion and care and understanding instead of like, oh, I hate my anxiety, go away. <laughs> or I don't want to think about things that make me anxious. Instead, you get curious about things. And so... The question at hand is like, how does that relate to horror? I think sometimes in horror movies, especially like haunting movies. And so, yeah, the way I see it is that I think parts can just be aspects of our experiences. And I think folklore and horror really put that into the same like way of storytelling, right? Like a ghost that haunts us could be a part that's trying to tell us something. A demon that tries to possess us or take over that again, that could be a part that's trying to tell us something. I think sometimes there can be parts that try to protect us and that try to get us to avoid maybe facing the trauma that we've experienced, but ultimately we have to be able to face those parts. And usually when we do approach the thing that haunts us, that's when a lot of stuff kind of dissipates. I feel like that was all over the place. <laughs> no, I don't think it was. 
I think that once we start talking about mm -hmm. the examples, it'll become more clear. So could you give us some examples of maybe like your favorite horror movies? Do you want to start with like the horror or you want to do folklore first? Well, and so how about this? Something that I think might be helpful is kind of maybe explaining something that I see in therapy that happens a lot. And then okay. talking about the movies and how that relates to... I, I think when we talk about the movies, yeah. you'll be able to see that a lot. Yeah, because um, then you can compare the process in therapy to, like, what happens in the movie. Yeah. Okay. And so... Yeah, so what is it that you see? And so this is something that I see sometimes in therapy, is that people come into therapy because something's wrong. Some part of them is experiencing something off or is trying to be heard and seen. That's when a lot of times people might come in and I'm just feeling really anxious or I'm getting panic attacks mm -hmm. <laughs> or I'm really depressed and I've reached my breaking point. Like I can't ignore this anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes kind of moving from there, it can be a journey to figure out like what is like haunting them, really exploring what the symptoms are rooted in. Um, or sometimes people deny things or deny symptoms. And I know I've definitely been there in my own therapy. I remember sometimes being like, oh, you got a lot of anger. No, I don't have a lot of anger. What's this chronic shoulder tension that you're experiencing? Oh, that's not anger. And so I think sometimes that can be a process in therapy is like realizing what those symptoms are and how we're actually experiencing things. Because sometimes we do a good job of denying those things, uh, denying that they're even there. And so that can be a journey in and of itself. And I think of like in in a lot of ghost stories, like you get a lot of like the, oh, everything's fine. Like that was just the cat making a sound in the kitchen or something, you know. And so this house is not terribly possessed with <laughs> demons or yeah. ghosts. Just of... because 10 people were murdered here doesn't mean that anything's wrong with it. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think we do that to ourselves oftentimes when it's really hard to face maybe something awful that happened to us or something that is just very unsettling to us. And so I think sometimes this is like the next process that I realize or that I've noticed in therapy is when we realize the fullness of how much we've been affected by our experiences and our traumas, that's when we get the, um, I just don't want to feel this way anymore. <laughs> and I think that's when we get like a lot of these, in IFS, you would call them protector parts, right? Like they just really try to protect us from feeling shitty, <laughs> from feeling bad, from feeling scared, hurt, whatever it is that is unbearable to feel. But I get that. Like, it's one thing to experience those things. And then it's another thing to experience those things and be like acutely aware that you're feeling it. <laughs> and then also feeling like no matter what you do, you're going to keep feeling it. And so it makes sense that that like, I don't want to feel this way sentiment like shows up. Right. And in a few ways, I think, like, one could be, like, I just don't want to talk about this crap anymore. Yeah. Like, why do I have to bring this up or rehash it again? <laughs> right? Or, like, can't you just take this away? Like, wave a magic wand, please. <laughs> well, yeah. Right? And, and that's usually when in therapy it's like, yes, logically, you don't want to think about these things anymore. Logically, you're not in that place anymore. But emotionally and viscerally, like, you're still there. And that might be something to explore why we're still there. That's usually the direction I go in therapy when it comes to that. And I think of like in movies, that's when a lot of times they're like, oh, I'll just move out of the house. <laughs> or, oh, I'll just pretend it's not there or you know, whatever it may be. Or like if it's some creepy ass doll or something <laughs> and they end up taking the creepy ass doll with them. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
Dude, it wasn't the house. It or, was the doll. or I'll, I'll just—I don't know. I'll throw the doll in the trash can, and then it shows back up at the door, like, "Hey, bitch, I'm here." Like, <laughs> so. Oh my God, does that happen? <laughs> in some movies. Oh, okay. Oh, note to self: don't throw stuff in trash can. <laughs> but I, but I think that can be a really good—I don't know—a a very good symbolic gesture of like what we try to do with these things that are haunting us. It's like, well, if I just throw you in the trash. <laughs> if I just pretend like you never happened or you're not there, then you're going to go away. But then they keep showing back up <laughs> at your door or however they show up in the story. Right. Or you do something completely ineffective, like somebody's chasing you in a horror movie and you go into a room <laughs> with a weapon or something, right? Like your chances of survival go way down. Isn't there some research about that? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, like we're, I can't think of a specific example, but I think I know what you mean. In the sense of like, you yeah. just do something that just doesn't seem like it's in your best interest to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, like somebody's chasing after you and it's like, oh, let me go into this room with a bunch of chainsaws in it. <laughs> yeah, or and nowhere to hide the dark basement. And exactly. For some and reason. it's totally not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think kind of moving along in that, I think that there is often a turning point when realizing in order to not be run by it, to be run by all these fears, um, they have to be able to face it. Um, they have to be able to feel it and experience it and, yeah, experience what they fear most and to be able to face that without our usual ways of protecting ourselves. It, it's really kind of putting yourself in this vulnerable place. But usually in like a lot of like, especially like a lot of like demon possession movies, like as soon as you can name it and like you know what it is, it's almost like it loses its power. And that's something I'll talk about later in some of the folklore stuff. And so that's kind of the process that I see a lot in a lot of horror films and a lot of like ghost story, haunting movies, and a lot of folklore in general. And that's kind of the, I guess that's kind of where I'll be pulling a lot of my analogies from is that process. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think that in trauma work, especially, once the person is able to face it, it's almost, you have to kind of explain it to the client. It's almost, you have to get them to take this weird leap of faith to let them know that whatever memory it is that they're revisiting with you mm -hmm. in session in this controlled kind of environment in this safe place, it's not like they're going to relive the experience verbatim exactly with the same circumstances right it's just a memory yeah. it's almost like this ghost of a thing and so it doesn't have as much power as it did before and so it's really trying to convince them you know it's not as powerful as it once was and once you do revisit it it's just really to tie up loose ends and say goodbye to it in some weird way see, and yeah go get for it. relief from it well, Almost. And I kind of see it a little differently because I think part of it, and this is again that very like internal family systems perspective, I think part of it is yes, realizing what is not yours to carry. But I think sometimes what haunts us are parts of ourselves that experienced the terror and being able to not necessarily like, again, I, I think of like, uh, you're flicking off like a part, like, go away, and like, <laughs> get off my shoulder. I don't want you here anymore. Instead of being able to tell that part to go away or laying it to rest, per se, it's figuring out how to nurture it and give it what it needs and how to keep it safe and how to really kind of 
integrate it into yourself moving forward, not as this like huge, scary thing, but as something that you have been able to approach and that you know how to approach now from that place of, in IFS, they talk a lot about like that centered self, like you're more self-led and you're not led by this scared or angry part. That's a really interesting approach, which is also true. Mm-hmm. I think that both can be true, right? Yeah. Like there's that sense of you can't erase your memory. It's not eternal sunshine of the spotless mind <laughs> kind of shit going on yeah. here where we erase your memory because that's creepy and run away you know, <laughs> from that immediately, right? Because you can't do that and you can't change the past, but integrating it into yourself, right? And then learning how to reintegrate everything including your affect and your mood and regulating, right? Like re-regu- re-regulation. That's not even well, a word. Learning but... how to be with it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Not instead of yeah. how you were with it when you couldn't deal with the terror or the fear or whatever. Yeah, being right. able to be present with who you are now. Mm-hmm. Would you say that it'd be like kind of letting the ghosts live with you instead? And so, yeah, and I, I guess you were asking about the different folklore stories. And there is one, this is a Tibetan Buddhist story of, um, I can never say it right, so I apologize for not being able to say this correctly. Malarepa? Malarepa? Okay, I'm not going to try. Um, but the story of this tale is that there is a monk who is just being harassed by hordes of demons. And nothing he can do will make these demons go away. He tries to shoo them away. He tries to fight them and slaughter them. And the more he fights, like the stronger they become. And so what ends up happening is that he realizes that just by acknowledging them and saying, I see that you're here, the majority of them dissipate. They just disappear just by him acknowledging that they're there. But there is a few particularly big demons that stay. (laughs) And he's like, what's up? (laughs) Like, I acknowledged you. Why are you still here? It's not until he is able to... There's different ways of saying that the story goes, but the way I've always heard it has been he puts his head into the mouth of the demon by saying, all right, you're here. You're scary. Like, but I'm here with you. Like, I'm not afraid of you. I can be here with you. Look, I'm even putting my head inside your mouth. That's how much I will be with you and I'm not scared of you. That is really what helps kind of bring this relationship with these inner demons is being able to approach them with that sense of curiosity and also compassion. Interesting. Creepy. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, moral of the story here when it comes to therapy would be, what do you think? Well, I also want to give the disclaimer, always move at your pace. Because if you're not ready to put your head into the mouth of the demons, you don't want to re-traumatize yourself. And I think it's important that you have that strong sense of self and that readiness and not being pushed beyond what you feel comfortable and what you feel ready to do. But I think ultimately it's being able to be present and being able to be grounded. I don't know if there's like one ultimate lesson or anything like that, but I think that's a piece of it is like learning how to trust yourself even when things are terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think with the help of the therapist and the expertise, especially with a trauma-trained therapist, Mm -hmm. would not encourage you to stick your head in the demon's mouth, per se, right? Like, immediately. (laughs) I think that they would do some work around window of tolerance Mm -hmm. and affect regulation and all kinds of other things before they encourage you to do something like that. 100%. Um, And give you lots of resources and all that first disclaimer so don't try to yeah don't try to sit home folks <laughs> on your own well, yeah so that's a good point 
Well, and I think that's an important thing too. And this is something that I've learned with like internal family systems is they always say you approach your protectors first. So you don't go to the part that's immediately like carrying this huge weight, what they call it a burden, that's carrying the burden of the trauma that happened to them. First, you start with the parts that are kind of protectors. So a lot of, you start with the anxiety, you start with the depression, <laughs> you start with the parts that are really kind of at, I don't want to say at the surface, because I think that kind of dismisses it, but they're protectors around. They're at the front line. Exactly. There may be some of the like more immediate demons, right? That are, yeah, they're scary, but it's not that big one that you've been really avoiding. And the biggest thing when that I've learned when it comes to working with protectors, it's really building a lot of trust. It's really building a lot of safety. And if you don't have that, then those protectors are like, hell no, you're not getting to that big demon because <laughs> you can't handle it. <laughs> and so I think you have to work at your pace. Absolutely. If there's anything that I've learned, just in general, even if you're not working with people who have been through trauma, is if you don't build safety and rapport and trust with your clients, then nothing that you try is ever going to work. Mm-hmm. The end. Done. Yeah. Might as well quit. <laughs> Go do something else. Seriously, go do something else. <laughs> like, don't be a therapist. Like, what? Like, if you can't build a relationship with people, get the hell out of here. Well, and, and I think that's kind of an ironic thing in the sense that, like, I think safety and trust are so important. It's a strange thing, especially considering that we're dealing with, like, horror. <laughs> like, things that don't feel safe and things that don't feel like you can trust yourself to handle. Um, and so it, it's an interesting dynamic to where you build this internal trust and safety in order to approach things that are uncertain and that feel very unsafe. Yeah, because it's like, are you going to do a bait and switch on somebody? Or yeah. what? Like, <laughs> I'm going to lure you in this hole, you know? Like, no, of course not. It's like we walk with you through it. It's not like, okay, you trust us now. Go into that hole by yourself. Like, <laughs> Go no. down the basement by yourself. I'll wait up here. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We would never do that. At least the good, aware ones. And also... <laughs> Also, just a side note, I think you can't take a client where you haven't been yourself. Yeah. Right? So, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I don't know if a prerequisite is your own therapy, but a, there's controversy about that. I feel like kind of should be. But, you know, if you haven't done your own work and been through your own horror movie, so to speak, mm -hmm. then how are you going to know how to navigate that for a client in some way? And maybe not have been through the exact same thing. But on some level, being able to manage those types of situations for yourself. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think when you work with people, you notice their demons can often look a lot like your demons and it can be hard. And so if you're not comfortable approaching vulnerability, if you're not comfortable just sitting with difficult topics, I'm, I'm trying to think of something particular, but I can't right now. It's going to be more difficult for you to be able to take someone there or not even take someone, but be with someone as they go there. I think of I heard an example of maybe a client who tends to like laugh trauma off a lot. And if that's something that you tend to do and that's not something that you haven't really worked through, you may tend to almost enable that laughing off of trauma with them. And that's something that I think is important to, yeah, be able to laugh with them when needed. But if that's where you stay that could be, I don't know, that could be a pretty big obstacle. Absolutely. Yeah, because then how are you able to see beyond that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I went a little bit more off topic, but... <laughs> no, no, it's good. I mean, and so, yeah, I guess I can talk about some of the movies that I like that I think really... Yes, the ones that I avoid like the plague. <laughs> I just can't, Marilyn. I can't do it. it. It's okay. It's okay. 
Um, I will do it for you. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah. See, go ahead. A spoiler alert. Yes, I was about to say. Up ahead. Spoiler right? alerts. Which I'm okay with. Yeah. And so, I will say the name of the movie before. So, if you want to skip ahead, you can. But if you don't care about spoilers, then. Like, I don't care about spoilers. Then, go on ahead. And so, this one, I feel like if you haven't seen this movie by now, this is a spoiler then. I don't feel bad, but it, The Shining. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, it's an old movie, but I'm actually not going to be talking about the movie. I, I actually prefer the book a bit. And the reason why I like that is the book a little bit more because I think it kind of humanizes some of the characters a little bit more than the movie does, particularly Jack, the dad. And so in this book, I think Stephen King does a really good job of showing the experiences of alcoholism, the experiences of um, domestic violence and abuse and the trauma that can be experienced with that. And then also the generational cycles that people face with that and experience with it. And I'm not just talking about The Shining, The Shining and Dr. Sleep. So there's two books that go along with that series. And so are you familiar with The Shining? No, but go on. (laughs) Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm here for your explanation. All right. Let's see. So in The Shining... This is with Jack Nicholson, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm familiar with the cover. (laughs) Like, it's famous, right? With his, like, side eye and the smile thing. Yeah, and so the the premise of the story is there's this family that kind of has this, like, very shrouded... It's like... Well, in the book, it's very evident that Jack, the father, had broken uh, Danny, the son, the small child, had broken his arm in the past. So there's a kind of a back history of Jack losing his temper in the past, but he's gone sober. And so he gets this winter job of maintaining the Overlook Hotel um, that's very remote. They're going to be there by themselves for, I forget how long, a few months during the winter season when the roads get closed and everything like that. And so in the movie, long story short, Jack kind of, let's see, I'm trying to think how to tell the story of it. As they move into the Overlook Hotel, the hotel itself is kind of haunted. It's like this hot spot to like suck people's energy, like bad things happen at the hotel. And so when they move in there, Danny, the little boy, he can what's called shine. And so in the book, they describe shining as kind of this ability to like read people's thoughts, this ability of clairvoyance, to see things, to see spirits. They're just very much aware of things that people can't see. And there's another character in the book, his name is Dick Holleran, and he's kind of like the chef at the beginning, and in the end he kind of comes to try to help out the family when everything goes down. But he explains to Danny, like, you shine, I shine too. Like, we can see things that other people can't see. We experience things that other people don't experience. And in the book, it kind of goes more into depth that the character Dick also experienced some childhood traumas of his. And so the way I look at what The Shining can represent, and again, I'm obviously not Stephen King, so I can't speak for him, but this is the way I took the book, was like The Shining, it reminds me a lot of what people who have been through trauma experience. When you are very hypervigilant <laughs> and you're very on guard to people's subtle cues, So maybe someone, their posture is just off or the tone in their voice is off and being able to really sense something's off. (laughs) And so that's what it really reminds me of. And I think Danny, the little boy in in the book, really just kind of explores this hotel and just sees all these things that just feel off. And while that's going on, the hotel is kind of also seducing Jack, the father in the movie, that's Jack Nicholson. And kind of just drawing him in and he becomes more and more obsessed with this book that he's writing and doing research and 
just gets really more and more on edge. Um, and there's a lot of themes about alcoholism in the book. Um, it's, it's pretty evident in the book how much alcoholism is a big part of this. And so, yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting story on like just how that experience can feel like. And it's not just the physical aspects of what happens, but like the emotional aspect of it. And so in the book, you really get a sense of how much, and this is why I like the book more, because I, th I think in the movie, they make Jack to be this more one-dimensional kind of asshole. <laughs> Whereas in the book, he really does struggle a lot with alcoholism. He does go back and forth. What I gathered is at times it seemed or felt like he was almost watching himself just succumb to alcoholism. And yeah, at the end of the movie, of course, uh, Jack Nicholson's like chasing them with an axe and that famous scene. Um, but at the end of the book, actually, Jack, the father, is actually the one that destroys the hotel. And so that's why I like it, because I think it kind of humanizes him a little bit more and shows the real struggle with that. And so then in Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel, it kind of talks about a Danny now as an adult and how he deals with alcoholism and how he has used alcoholism to kind of numb the shining because it gets too loud for him. <laughs> he doesn't like dealing with the shining. He's really compartmentalized a lot of the things that haunt him. But he ultimately gets sober and then he has to kind of face that trauma going into the next generation. But he has to face it sober, which I think is an interesting read for that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I think that's something we would likely see in real life, right? Like mm -hmm. when somebody copes with alcoholism because of past trauma or copes with past trauma through alcoholism. Yeah. Or with alcohol tries to self-medicate. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh, what a battle. That's interesting that he chose to to write that with that lens. Yeah, and, and my understanding is, I believe King, you can edit this out, <laughs> if not, because I don't want to be saying shit that's not right. But I believe King himself struggled with alcoholism in the past, and this was kind of part of it that was writing that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so maybe this became something expressive for him. Mm hmm Hmm, okay. So yeah, that's one of the famous, I guess, movies and books that you liked. And I can see why. I mean, that one has a clear connection to, like, mental illness. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, you can follow the story of how trauma can get passed on from a generation to another one. Being able to face it, though. That. Right, right. Another, and this is another Stephen King one. But I will use the movie. Um, but it, and I'll keep this part short. Okay. It is pretty much a movie about a bunch of kids and they grow up to be adults. But then, so as kids, they experience this like crazy trauma where some killer clown, there's more to it, but I'm giving the gist of it, tries to like kill them all. But they all survive and they all move forward and they become adults. But then as adults, they all start to be haunted by it. And what it haunts them with is it kind of just shows them their past childhood traumas. <laughs> And again, the, the more they are afraid of it, the bigger it is. And it's not until the end of the movie that they realize, like, being able to yell and, like, laugh at it and, like, make fun of it, like, it loses its power and it, like, shrivels up into, like, this small little, like, ee thing. And so oh. I think that, yeah. Yeah, that's a nice parallel. I like mm -hmm. that one. And then the other that one. That illustration is nice. <laughs> to see a, a little clown okay. shriveled up or. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I also like that tie. Right. Yeah. And, like if you can not, you know, you don't have to laugh at your childhood. Trials, yeah, yeah. But you get to a point where you're desensitized. Right. Which in most therapies, exposure, desensitization, 
coming to a point where you kind of look at the trauma, hear about the trauma, and you're like, oh, okay, that's just a part of my normal life. You've integrated it yeah. into your psyche or your own person, and you've learned to live with it, then it's not as intimidating. Yeah. You've got and it. I, got I, think it. That I see was, where you're going. Yeah. And I think that was the main thing, not necessarily laughing at it, but like, I'm not afraid of you. Like, I, I can, I can mm-hmm. approach you. Got um, it. Yeah, very good. And then the other one I think of is the Babadook. What the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, this one, I forget when it came out. I believe it's Australian. And so it's about a mother and a son. And the mother, she's a widow. Um, I believe the husband or father um, passed away in a car accident. I think when she was on her way to give birth. And so you kind of start the movie and they're both just like really stressed. <laughs> like mom mm-hmm. is like stressed the fuck out. <laughs> she does mm-hmm. not look good. The little kid is just having behavior problems at school. I think he takes like a weapon to school or something like that. I'm sure you've seen maybe that meme that's like, why can't you just be normal? And it's like a kid like screaming like, ah, um, mm-hmm. that's from that movie. Um, oh, okay. And so they're just a bit of a hot mess. And Mom reads him this story about the Babadook that comes at night and haunting kind of starts happening from there. And the mom denies it. I think that she even throws the book away or tears it apart and the book shows right back up. It's kind of one of those things. Mm. And um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. And it's one of those movies that it's not until they face the Babadook that it doesn't go away. Because the way I see it and the way I've understood it is that the Babadook is like a symbol for the mom's grief. Because I think the Babadook even tries, I think he even takes over her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's been a while since I've seen it. But it takes over her to where she almost kills the son. And so. Oh, how delightful. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's very symbolic about grief. And I, it, throughout the movie, yeah. the mom insists that no one says um, the father's name. She doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't. She's really trying to avoid her grief um, until I think it manifests as the Babadook. And so it's not until she faces it that she can really know what to do with it. And at the end of the movie, like the Babadook doesn't really go away. They keep it like in the basement or something like that. And they like feed it worms. <laughs> but it's manageable, which is a lot of how like grief is with a lot of people. It's not something that really goes away, but it's something you learn to carry on and live with. Because I don't think you can make grief go away. Right. That's one of those things that is so universal to the human experience and is so normal, but we don't talk about it because it's so unpleasant. But at some point, it has to become integrated, right? Yeah. 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 Like, it can't take over your life the way, like, the Babadook does, where she's, like, trying to kill her son. (laughs) But it's there. That sounds... (laughs) That one, I think I'll definitely (laughs) stay away from that movie. But I've got the gist. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Now you got it. (laughs) So people ask me, have you seen It, The Shining, Babadook? I'll be like, yep. <laughs> yes, I have like Cliff Notes, Marilyn. Corbin I have Burden mental version. images. Of it in <laughs> yeah, my head. yeah, I'm good. I am good. So um, I'm thinking this is enough content okay. for our folklore horror podcast episode. I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. This is so perfect because it's being released in October oh, for Halloween. Halloween. Yes. I'm excited for that. Sorry. One of my favorite holidays. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting used to the idea of Halloween. Again, I do like cute costumes. I can't do 
like scary stuff, <laughs> but you know, just like don't pop out and scare me, please. I just won't. like let me appreciate cute cute stuff. But <laughs> thank you so much. And I hope that we can do this again. Maybe yeah. another topic that is funny. That would be <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, and I do have like one quote that I really, really love that I think yes, kind of me. speaks to a lot of this. And it's from Judith Herman, uh, Trauma and Recovery. Um, if you've read that book, then you know it's a great book that talks a lot about trauma and all that good stuff. Well, that's not good, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. And so the quote goes, The ordinary response to atrocities is to banish them from consciousness. Certain violations of the social compact are too terrible to utter out loud. This is the meaning of the word unspeakable. Atrocities, however, refuse to be buried. Equally as powerful as the desire to deny atrocities is a conviction that denial does not work. Bulk wisdom is filled with ghosts who refuse to rest in their graves until their stories are told. Murder will out. Remembering and telling the truth about terrible events are prerequisites for the restoration and the social order and for the healing of individual victims. And so I really like that because I think it kind of speaks to, yeah, just having to face these things and just the reasons why. Yeah, I love it. That's poignant. And it's true. Well, thank you for having thank me. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I learned so much. I mean, not only content-wise, but it was nice to discuss the parallels between therapy and trauma work and horror and folklore. Something that I never thought I would discuss. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> so thank you for coming on, Marilyn Horbin Burdick. Thank you. <laughs> I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And please connect with me, Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist Pod. More information about booking me for therapy or training can be found there. Until next time, keep on fighting the stigma and go to therapy. I'll see you next time.